Hey, good morning. I get the luxury of walking around on here and trying to stay in the light for the uh, YouTube to see me. Hey, it's a bit of a strange feeling, actually, this morning in some way standing in front of you because I have to focus on two sides. Usually, I just get to stand on one. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be here. I'm really excited about um, sharing with you this morning as we journey deeper into Philippians and what that means for us. Um, Paul was a bit of a hero of mine. I remember when I was um, in my late teens, I, I picked up the book of Acts, and I, I knew Acts. Well, I thought I knew Acts, but I really began to digest it. And um, I remember being really captivated and excited by the stories in Acts as I read it. And it all came to life, and, the, and it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking and breathing into it and breathing into my life, and I saw it all out lay, and I've shared that with, that with our young people at times. But as I looked at it and as I read, I really got excited about what Paul was doing. And there are a few qualities I saw in Paul um, that I admired. And one was his confidence. Another was his boldness. He was a strategist. But yet he also had zeal. He had zeal to see the gospel go out. He was impassioned to see this message spread. I came away with that desire to have that same zeal. I wanted to be impassioned by the gospel and see it spread. And some days, occasionally, I think I'm close to that, you know, one thing I often do when I read scripture is um, I ponder on it and I wonder what was happening in those times for those different people. And I wondered for Paul in these times as he grappled with where he was. I wondered if he wondered what God was doing. I wondered what he was thinking. So let's read this passage. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that, in, that I in no way will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage as the, so that I now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two desires. Um, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary um, for me to remain in body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with you, um, with all of you, for your progress and joy and faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on my account. Bella um, shared with us last week that Paul was obviously in prison and most likely in, under home arrest reliant on the support of the community around him. 
And as I mentioned, one of my big ponderings was I wondered if God was, if Paul was thinking, what are you doing, God? I know that as a pondering I've had in my own life on many occasions. What are you doing, God? Where are you in this? What is going on? Paul would have been wondering, how does this, me being trapped in here, benefit my zeal to see the gospel advance? And as Bella touched on last week, he could see different things happening. There was a level of uncertainty for Paul, um, and he was challenged in different ways. And these uncertainties in our own lives, we can recognise as they provoke different challenges for us. If the youth pastor is speaking, you get a story about the youth ministry, it's a golden rule, and um, it's sort of like advertising, <laughs> better work stories. Um, and I had a little story I wanted to tell you this morning, and it involves an event that happened during the first lockdown for some of our young people. Um, we'll, we'll change their names, we'll call them Alvin, Theodore, and Simon. <laughs> um, and during the first lockdown, um, they had been picked up a couple of times by a particularly special taxi, which is generally red and blue. And um, they'd been taken home by the police, and, and that was in the first week. And they were under strict instructions to stay at home and not meet up. So being 15-year-old boys, they decided that they would head out. So they hatched a cunning plan. Their plan wasn't to just meander around Lower Hutt, but to head into the hills behind Belmont, because in the hills, the police aren't there. So they set off, and they journeyed up behind Belmont, and they, and they began to walk. And there wasn't really a lot to do in the hills behind Belmont, so they walked, and they walked, and they walked. And they came across this awesome ammunition dump from the Second World War, which is now a big vacant concrete building, and they had looked around that. Then they carried on walking, and walking, and walking, and they, one of them began to get a bit thirsty, and they realised that being, you know, being 15, they hadn't prepared quite well enough. <laughs> so they had no food, they had no water. They did have a vape, which, you know, <laughs> some kids do, which only probably increased that pressure to need water even more. But they came across some water, but unfortunately for them, it had a very dead carcass of a sheep in it that was largely bloated, so that wasn't going to work. So they carried on walking and walking. And they, as they told the story, they said each of them told it being someone else, but there was definitely some uncertainty that was going on for them and worry and concern. And they carried on walking, heading exactly in the worst direction possible. Eventually, though, they were fortunate, and they... They came over a rise and they looked down and they could see this big dirt track in front of them. So they thought, we'll head for there. There's got to be somewhere along there. So they arrived at this dirt track. You might know it as Transmission Gully, but then it was being built. <laughs> and they arrived there and, and they didn't know where they were, but they thought they'd just head in a direction. So they headed off in a direction. Now, at that stage during lockdown, there was a lot of expensive equipment being stored in Transmission Gully from what they were doing. So they had a truck that would come up and down and check out that everything was safe each day and no one was pinching anything. So this truck came along and the driver stumbled across these three lads, Alvin, Theodore and Simon, who broke into song. No. Um, <laughs> and he said to them, what are you doing here? And they said, oh, look, we're lost. We just want to go for a walk. And he took pity on them and said, look, hop in and I'll take you to a location where you'll have cell reception and you can contact 
someone to come and pick you up. So they were very grateful. And they climbed into the back. So one uncertainty shifted. Now they were safe, but they carried on going. But a new uncertainty began, which was which parent would be the best parent to call <laughs> in this situation. Um, so the truck dropped them off in Paikokariki. And then they had to call one of their parents during lockdown to come and drive all the way over <laughs> to the coast to come and pick them up. Um, yeah, it was a time of deep uncertainty to them. Fortunately, James and I did receive pictures of the bloated sheep, which was quite disgusting and a very good story to tell. You know, uncertainty, though, can strike us all in different situations, and often it isn't just when we're lost in the hills of Belmont but often it can be more so in the world around us and things that are going on. It can be in the wider world as we look at the impacts of war happening in Ukraine and potentially now in East Africa, in West Africa. It can be, or for some, it could be the emergence of AI and the uncertainty that creates in their field of work. It could be the uncertainty um, of rising house prices or interest rates and how that affects a home budget or an election coming up and how that will impact upon my employment. There can be uncertainty in our financial situation and outlook that will have to mean that we'll have to manage ourselves moving forward and make difficult choices. Or the personal things that create a real deep and difficult sense of uncertainty in our lives. They might be things like when we have relationship troubles with family or friends and we're left asking questions, why won't they or what do I do? For some, it might be in marriages that are struggling along and we're looking for someone to help us or asking ourselves the questions of all this last and do I? Or for any of you, for some of you, it might be similar to myself after spending the better part of 14 months caring for someone you love and they're dying. Created great uncertainty about their future and your own. An uncomfortable place for pain and sadness. And as in the case of my sister Sophie, as her uncertainties became more certain, a new uncertainty began for us. Maybe it isn't terminal illness, but just in your general health that is impacted. I was speaking with a friend this week, and as we talked in conversation, the conversation went to the challenges they face in their health. Desire from healing, from pain. A place of illness that leaves her with uncertainty about her future, her work, and her call on her life. That is truly a difficult space to live. Uncertainty in life is something we can all relate to. And Paul was obviously facing his own uncertainties. As we do. And in this time, Paul made a request. A request to the church of Philippi. A request for prayer. And what is interesting about his request is 
His request was for provision, but not necessarily the provision that we'd always ask for ourselves. It wasn't for goods. It wasn't for freedom. It wasn't in the physical, but it was for the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that it's by the only by the Holy Spirit's presence that his deliverance would come, and not necessarily his deliverance out of where he was. For it was not for his benefit that he was looking for, but it was for only for Christ's benefit and the advancement of the gospel. Paul doesn't ask for prayer to vindicate him, but he asks for courage and clear testimony that the gospel may spread. Intercessionary prayer was critical to Paul. Paul knew this, and he had witnessed it. He had seen God's Spirit work in powerful and dynamic ways. A big challenge that we can often face is whether God's Spirit will come in our times of prayer and intercession. Will God work in our prayers, or will he not? And I am no specialist in this. But the more I see and I experience, the more I realize that I don't know. And maybe better to say is I just can't explain. A number of years ago, I was really fortunate to go on a trip to Tanzania. And in our time in Tanzania, I journeyed with some people who were in mission there. And we went into a village. And as we went into this village, we came across a woman who hadn't walked for a number of years properly. She had massive struggles. She was bound to a chair in her living room and her bed in her room. She couldn't really get out. So the people with us offered to pray for her. And we prayed. And after a short while, things started to happen in her life. And after a short while, she began to stand and she began to move and she began to bounce around the room, jumping with joy. And then she ran around a coffee table, celebrating and crying out and rejoicing in Swahili. I don't know what she was saying, but apparently it was some awesome stuff. And then she grabbed one of the team that we were with and she sort of said, ushered him outside. And she pointed to this old dump of a car out there her old car that she hadn't driven in years, and she asked us to pray for that. (laughs) You know? Incredible. Then as we left her property, one of the guys paused and said, maybe we should pray and see if there's anything else the Lord would have us do. And suddenly I found myself living in one of those moments from Acts that I had read about, expectantly waiting to see what God would do. And sure enough, God spoke. To one, he gave an image of a woman, what she was wearing. To another guy on the team, he described some of the things that were going on in her life. And to myself, I felt the need to draw on a piece of paper some lines. And it occurred to me that this was a bit of a map. And so we set off, and we walked through this village it was crazy. We just followed this little map that I'd drawn, you know, down the lane, round the corner, past the banana palm, turn a corner, a little bridgey thing over a little bit of beautiful water, 
further down, around another corner in there, we found a woman standing outside a house who matched perfectly this description. And I was just like, what the hang is going on? <laughs> you know, in a little bit of disbelief. And as we started to talk to her and explained what happened, she invited us into her home. She was a Muslim lady and her children were there and they came and they gathered around. And we started to unpack the gospel with her. And just as it, they were really engaged in it, her husband returned home. And this started to create some tension. And even me, and not knowing the language, could see the tension that was happening, not only for her, her children, but also for the team of other people I was with. And as he entered through the door, one of the other gentlemen we were with turned around and looked at the man, and the man... Her husband looked at him, and they both smiled. And the husband said, what are you doing in my home? How do you know where I live? And they both had a keen interest in photography. And they both met on several occasions in a store that sold cameras and film in town and talked about their photography, never about their faith. And we sat there, and the conversation went on. And as we unpacked the gospel, that family came to faith that day. It was really astonishing, crazy, and I can't explain it. I don't, I really don't understand. You know, I know God was at work, but why does God work in that that doesn't work in other situations? There have been numbers of times of prayed and prayed for some of our young people in our community and in other communities I've been a part of. People have longed to see come to faith. But they've slipped away. But then others who I've prayed for for years stick. They discover Jesus. They become a new person, vibrant and alive in Christ. And next week we get to celebrate one of those together as Shana comes to the pools baptism. That is exciting. I don't have all the answers and I really would love to. I'd love to know, have answers to the whys and ways nots, which I generally get asked on several occasions, frequently. But I do know that I have seen God at work. I have seen him work powerfully and in dynamic ways, ways that I can't understand. And as Paul asked the Philippian church to pray, we must too pray and intercede as well. And as Paul prayed, we can pray for the gospel to spread. To live as Christ and to die as gain. For many of us in the West, I don't think we really understand the depth of this verse in total. It's sort of become this nice catchphrase, like another one from Jeremiah that we all know well, you know? We can get it on mugs. We can wear it on T-shirts or hoodies. We can even get a poster to go in our room, maybe next to the one that says, hang in there with the cat. <laughs> you can even put it on a greeting card to encourage someone. But in other parts of the world, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain, is a manifesto. A manifesto to live by. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In our Western Judeo-Christian world, we live mostly isolated from persecution. And we can choose in some ways to compartmentalise our faith. We have our Jesus time at church or our home group. We have our work time. We have our social time with friends. Our non-Christian friends, our Christian friends. We compartmentalise our faith down. But for many other parts of the world, to your faith has a cost to your life. The choice to follow Jesus can mean losing family, can mean losing friends, and for some, it can even mean losing your life. I met people who had to make that choice on different travels and different places I've been, and it's a hard choice to make, but a choice that they do. And on a few occasions, we hear Paul refer to himself as a slave to Christ. He challenged the church to be that. And in turn, he challenges us to be a slave to Christ, completely and utterly in his service. For Paul, there is no other way. It's all or nothing. To live as Christ doesn't allow us to compartmentalise our faith. Faith at work, faith with family, faith with friends and so on and so on, or as Paul might challenge us, spread the gospel at work. Spread the gospel with family. Spread the gospel at home. Spread the gospel at all times. Live as Christ. For some of us, this can bring discomfort. Maybe you're feeling that discomfort. I know in my own life I feel that discomfort at times as I sit with different people. As I mentioned earlier, I ponder sometimes as I read scripture and read stories of different folk and wonder what they're thinking and what is going on. And I often wonder here whether Paul ever looked back to the man he once was, Saul, who held the coats as Stephen was stoned. And I wonder if Paul reflects on that. And he reflects on Stephen and his prayer at the end as he went to be with the Lord. I wonder what impact that had on shaping who Paul was. To die is gain. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life. He doesn't say there won't be struggle. A few preachers and megachurches might, but Jesus doesn't. What Jesus promises us is his spirit, his companionship in our faith journey through life. In the days of uncertainty, but also when the days are good, or when the days are horrendous and we just prefer to hide away, Jesus promises us the provision of his spirit 
provision that Paul prayed for and asked for prayer in. The Spirit of Christ. And though and through his spirit we might boast Jesus' good works with joy in our hearts. And when our life ends, and when we join him, Paul knows and he looks forward to that, being with the physical presence of Jesus, but more so to see the gospel spread. And in the uncertainty, we can be certain in Christ. And in that certainty, we can find our joy in him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for um, this man who you felt, this man who speaks to us. Father, I pray as we head out from this place that we will take your message to heart and be encouraged to carry you into all spheres of our world. Amen.